This is Paul. This is Caroline. Today we're here to discuss the final, the eighth episode of Apple TV Plus's Defending Jacob. This is the one it all comes down to, everyone. Holy smokes. I mean, I knew that there was going to be a couple more twists and turns, but this took us on a journey that was so much more complicated. I had no idea I needed to pack some suntan lotion. Yeah, it's like the first seven episodes plotted along, did their thing, got you interested in this nice slow burn. And then in this last episode, they needed to fit like three episodes of action into one episode. Everything was happening all over the place. I had no clue we were going to Mexico. I did not know anything of what was going to be happening here. This really surprised me. None of it was extra. It was all explainable. It all makes sense. It all fits together. It's just a lot in one episode compared to the others. I would like to say that in thinking back to our predictions that there were two specific things that I had set up that I felt pretty good about. And I, I would like you to think about your own predictions and think think how they played in. So one, I said I thought that there was a good chance that Lori's actions and what was going to take her to the edge was going to be pushed by Jacob and a girl. I said Sarah. I was wrong on that because I could never see hope coming on the projections here, right? Like I had <laughs> no idea we were going there. However, I think I was pretty right on about the idea that Jacob having some sort of what even appeared to be a romantic entanglement and perceived aggression towards that girl really pushes Lori over the edge. Do I get credit for that? Yeah, I, you, you at least get partial credit. It's in the same vein, as, as what you described. I also said I did not think that Lori's actions were going to be planned, that it was going to be something that she just couldn't take it anymore. Now, I said that and I really only get partial credit because of the baby book in the trash. Mm. She knew when she got in the car what she was going to do because she had right. already thrown the baby book in the trash. I mean, I said it wasn't going to be a gun. I said it was going to be something very like she was just going to, you know, push him down the stairs or something that could be perceived as questionable. What happened here exactly? Accident? Question mark? Question mark? The idea of driving in the car, like, I mean, in my mind matches up to a lot of that stuff that I was thinking about. But I don't know that I said it exactly right. What you did say exactly right was what was going to happen with Father O'Leary, though. Mm, I do feel super good about that. Grandpa was <laughs> the source of Father O'Leary being in our lives. And I would also like to say that I noted that Ben's dad, Mr. Rifkin, was not in the courtroom and I felt a lot like he was still going to come running at them. Yep, you got that all right in in the viewing of this episode. Was there any predictions other ones made that we had going into this? Nothing nothing as firm as those things. You had said that the family was not going to be... Right, I had said that they would be broken in some way. Mm -hmm. I do have a question for you. I know this entire time we had been thinking that Jacob was deceased. Now, we saw the amount of machinery that he was on. Mm -hmm. Definitely felt like vegetative state. He was in a coma. Mm -hmm. Is that like being kept alive by machinery? Therefore, sort of kind of not here anymore? They never spelled out his status. And the fact that he and Lori at the very end were talking about when he wakes up is the sort of thing, if I'm Andy and my wife has amnesia from an accident that did this to our son and she's talking about when he's waking up. I'm not, I don't know that I'm going to lay on the, no, actually there's, there's no, no reason to think that anymore stuff just yet. Time frame wise, where do you put this grand jury day where he is walking into the hospital to see the status of Jacob and Lori? Where are we exactly? 
There is a point when they do mention a time frame, and it is a matter of something like six weeks, but it is weeks, not days. I remember very much you saying, if that's what he looks like weeks into this, I mean, God, the bruising on his head and face and stuff looks so bad. Okay, so starting from the beginning, I want to talk about the concept of Leonard Patz and this whole reveal that Father O'Leary really had gun to his head and forced the confession. I would like to say this, just because that confession was forced doesn't mean it wasn't true. Exactly right. And that's really important in this whole like who done it. He absolutely still could be the killer, you guys. And he just didn't want to write it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, nothing wrong. You know, nothing. They're not mutually exclusive, right? Right. The fact that he did not commit suicide actually does not surprise me in the end. Remember, I kept saying, I kind of think that like the letter's not going to come out and he's going to still be alive, right? Yeah. So I would, I want to say that I didn't think he had the gumption, I guess, to actually go through with killing himself. Someone who preys on children feels very cowardly to me and not somebody who had the whatever amount of guts it would take to actually take your own life. I think uh-huh. that that's a level of shame that I don't think he actually has. Okay. Did it surprise you about how the whole Pat situation and the end of the trial just sort of wraps up? It did seem fast. They had been gunning for him, him being Jacob, in such a serious way that it almost it almost feels like Neil LeJudas would have been very reluctant to let go after he'd made such a good case against the boy. But- you have a signed confession. You have a guy that kills himself. What, is, what else, as a justice system, what else are you going to do? Well, you can peep a little bit more into Leonard Patz's death. But as we are told by the DA, turns out, nah, there ain't nothing here. Now, do you have a raised eyebrow about that, Paul? Do you think that cops just said, well, a convicted child abuser is out of commission and that's actually good enough for me. I mean, I've seen that theme in other law enforcement based uh, shows before, and that's got to be based on something. The idea being that when a crime has a good enough resolution, that's, that's fine enough to move on rather than making sure that it's the right guy. That's always the story of the, of the cop show, right? Is that maverick cop that wants to find the right man but everyone else is like, no, no, we already found Joe and we're pretty sure Joe's good enough. He needs to go to jail anyway. I've seen that kind of storyline before. And so that's not overly shocking to see it applied here. And I guess I also want to say in the case of things like child molesters in particular, I mean, the justice system within the jail even has, you know, such little respect for anything about those people that the idea of spending a lot of time and manpower on trying to figure out a dead man's cause of death, whether it was truly suicide or whether someone was taking revenge or whatever they were doing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they get as much investigative manpower because when they die in prison and stuff like that, I mean, most of the time people are like, well. It takes a lot of extra push, I think, to investigate a suicide. I think it's like, it's like leave well enough alone sort of attitude. I agree with you very, very much. If you're Andy Barber and you hear this, there were some question marks about Pat's situation there. Do you follow up or do you just thank your lucky stars that it's all done? If I'm Paul, I'm like, meow, 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 meow. But if I'm like Andy. That, that means move on. You couldn't <laughs> see him do this like, this like walking down the path like a little cat. That's what I did. But if I'm Andy, his brain is always churning on on this stuff and he could not let it go. 
which I find fascinating. And do you actually think is very accurate to Andy's character? He has been very willing to say, mm-hmm, on an awful lot about Jacob's life. Doesn't it seem a little mm. really like in, at no point in all of this, including say, let's say most recently, Dr. Vogel's office. I want to know more in-depth information about what's going on here. And he's like, why you got to know? Why don't we just leave it at that? Maybe he's playing some sort of like emotional catch up then. The idea that the reason that his kid's off the hook might be fake, it like brings all that stuff home. Oh shit, what if that stuff is right? Well, specifically, he had come to the point of turning and asking Jacob and saying, did you do this? And saying, you have no say in this anymore. So he had come all the way to the point of being like, this kid could have done it, you know? And once that door's open, I don't know that it ever gets completely closed again, just in terms of doubt and, and possibly where your mind can go. Yeah. Sequentially, all that stuff happened after all the stuff at Vogel's, all the passive boys will be boys kind of attitude that he had toward Vogel's findings. And remembering that all of this stuff happened within like 12 hours. Yeah. I mean, he's like at the trial, you know, he's yelling at the kid in the car. We're yelling at the kitchen table and it was basically the next morning. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was really fast. Andy does choose to follow up on this, though, and heads over to talk to dad, who, like we said at the beginning, felt pretty entangled you don't bring in jk right yeah for just, a cameo right? no just to be some like needler guy at the prison like i felt so sure he had to have a more clever role in all of this when he tells andy you can either be a good man or a good father what do you think about that That is a distinction that only comes about and i would say the most dire situations You can probably be both at the same time most of the time, unless it's one of these life or death emergencies like this. Grandpa considers his grandson going to prison for murder a life and death situation. Yeah, they don't correspond anymore. You can forget this and be a good dad, or you can pursue this and live up to your idea of being a good man. I also think the idea that protection of your children can lead you to do things that might not be classified under good man. Case in point, Daddy Barber, right? Yeah. He wants to protect Andy and his grandson. And in order to be a good dad, he has to be a questionable man. Right. Right? And in this case with Andy, I do wonder about the the definition of good father, for Jacob, because turning a blind eye to potential murderous patterns mm-hmm. doesn't actually come under good fathering for me. But what do you do? You got this skinny 14 year old and you're going to send him to adult jail? No, but I think that I would mandatory therapy, mandatory psychological evaluations, mandatory support medication may be way more like that to me like there's something in between I understand on the spectrum it's like you can either act like Jacob did nothing or you can tell the police what happened and potentially send him to jail but the in between where I think good father lies is act calling a spade a spade and trying to do what you can to make sure that that kid has help because he had red flags along the along the way here it is not like he got off scot-free Or it's not as if information didn't come forward that was worrisome. For sure. All that stuff, the Job stuff, the Cutter porn stuff, all that stuff being public. The fact that they stayed in town so long afterwards, after all that stuff came out, was, man. We've watched another show, and I'm not going to tell you the name of it, because if I do, I don't 
I don't, I don't want to spoil anything for you, where someone is accused and exonerated, and yet the family still has the wrath of the town. It's not like the consequences go away. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a lot of people rush to judgment and are not going to stick around to hear the details of whatever ended up happening with that particular situation. Mm-hmm. They're just going to continue to hate on whomever it is. Just assume that the first thing they were told was right. They made their mind up, Mr. Rifkin. (laughs) Right. Despite any other evidence, they are just going to rely on that. It was naive of them to think that they could stick around in that town and that this wasn't going to just needle them to death, especially because it seemed like a little bit they knew it, that this would be the hardest place to stay. And that was like the rationale. Like, I don't remember the voiceover, but Andy's like, you know, we could have done something else, but we knew this would be the hardest place to stay. So why not just like jump in and like make it the most extreme situation ever, which is like, dude, I don't know. That's not how I would play this thing. (laughs) You know? Yeah, for sure. I'm pretty sure I'd be looking at real estate out of the country. Speaking of out of the country, Paul. Right. Did you think we were heading to old Mexico? No, Um, but they had talked about it when things were still okay earlier in the season. Well, okay enough. Um, So the Mexico thing didn't come out of nowhere. It just felt a little out of nowhere. I just had no idea that as audience members, we were going to follow them on vacation and that there was going to be more twists and turns in our final freaking seconds here. You know, if you, if you kind of chart the, I guess, the emotional status of all the barbers through this... You had Lori kind of on a very high, you know, note there right before the Pat's suicide-ish. Mm. <laughs> and then, you know, with the exoneration, she kind of gets back to an, a more even keel. But in order to get that final dramatic moment, we needed her to get back up there again. You know, right. the whole scenario, the way that it, like you described, it involves a young girl. His story also doesn't really add up on the night of. Yeah, I changed my shirt. Oh, no, I, you know, the shirt has changed, but he says he left his shirt on the beach. And it's just he's so vague. I mean, again, like just from the parenting point of view, why would you allow your kid to be vague with you about it? Why wouldn't you be like, then let's walk together and go get your shirt. Okay. Yeah. Like the lack of follow through is Boggling. I know. I mean, as a parent, I know you just got off a, a murder charge here, but you're still kind of on probation for this other secret life you're living and the knife and all that other shit. I think so. So the Job story in the middle of court in front of everyone that you don't tell me. Yeah. So I think, yeah, you're not going to beach parties with your new friend like two weeks later. I'm sorry. Well, okay, so you're not even going to allow that much, which I'm saying, even if you did say, have an argument back and forth where you say, look, he didn't do it, okay? So we're going to let him go to the beach party because we would have let him go to the beach party had none of this ever happened. So we're going to do that. But then when you get back and there's like this weird, vague, "Mm, I left my shirt on the beach. Oh, I don't know where Hope is. Mm, I left super early, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, but I, I would say, I hear you. But because of a situation where you were accused of a situation that I did not follow up on, uh, we're going to need to go. And maybe that's all internal. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go find your shirt. You're going to walk me through. You're going to walk down the beach. You're going to we're going to get your shirt. And I want to check in with Hope's mom and make sure she got back safe and sound because that's just what another parent does. Right. Yeah. Just make sure Hope got back safe and sound. Especially because Lori said she spoke for a while to Hope's mom and that they seem to have a little bit of rapport or whatever in a way that I don't think it would be out of line 
for Lori to say, you know what? I'm going to go down and stop by Hope's mom's room. Just make sure that Hope got back safe and sound. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, at least this is how I'm playing it because I'm done. I'm done not following up as Lori. I am done. And you could look at it in two ways, Paul. You could look at it like I'm being a jerk and holding this against him from stuff he really didn't do. Or you can look at it like I had information slapped in my face that for 15 years I did not follow up on things that made my instinct say something's not right about this and I'm not going to make the same mistakes. So regardless of whether you are completely in the right in this or not, when my mom gut goes off, we're going to follow up on it forever and ever. Amen. That's it. (laughs) We're going to. And I think that's totally justified because of the seriousness of the stuff that came out about him. When we talked about the idea of being a little unsettled by the whole Sarah ooh-butting romance and stuff, I mean, was that all foundational for them to be sucked in to this idea of a budding romance with hope? Like, it couldn't just be a friend. Did it have to be a girl? And did it have to play out in a romantic fashion? What do you think? Did it have more impact that it was a girl or what? Maybe, but I think... Like pattern wise, his parents weren't totally privy to all the Sarah stuff because he never he he told them to stop talking about Sarah. Don't don't do anything with Sarah. Right. Mm -hmm. Then this hope stuff happens. That's more in their face. They have to be involved now because he's being accused of something having to do with her. They're being kept in the country because of this, right? right? My God, how scary. The whole reason he ditched her was because they had an argument about she liked an actor and he didn't like that actor or something like that. Something that a psychotic person would would ditch a person in a foreign country over. This is not an art. I mean, they've been boating all day and then... Yeah. Like, no, it seemed like they had been spending more... I mean, they had been there for a while. They were going for Christmas and this was New Year's Eve. So it seemed more like they had days together where they were doing stuff. But you See what I mean? Like I do. That's a bad reason to ditch a friend. It is to me too. But do you think it was important that it seemed to be a romantic girl love interest versus could he have just met another boy on the beach and them just literally hanging out? Him being like, oh, we're going to go back to Joe's room and play video games or whatever. Like, did it have to be romantic or was it important to have Sarah's vulnerability in any way kind of like pushing us towards, oh, Hope has like a stacked deck here? Yeah, I think you're onto something. It probably did create a softer spot for like, holy shit, what did he do to her kind of feelings to be to be generated like instantaneously. Right. I liked how they had the accusations from the Mexican police force slash the resort security people. I liked the parallel between that and how zero control they had over the situation versus Andy being a part of the justice system and having people like Duffy and people have people like knowing Neil being a part of a courtroom situation like this felt like ratcheting it up in a way that I didn't even know it could be. That's always the freaky thing about going to another country, right? Is you're subject to their way of doing things. Yeah, I don't know that Mexico has like a terrific reputation for an even application of law enforcement f- for crimes and adjudication and that sort of stuff. To be, able to, scary. to be able to parallel, though, those two things and have seen an accusation, how Andy and Lori were able to take him home that night mm-hmm. versus, sorry, we're taking him away at breakfast time. Well, this was enough to break him. I mean, this was, uh, like you said, he was, since he, maybe that's it, because he wasn't involved. He, that's what broke him. And that's what made him spill his guts. And that's what broke Lori. Mm-hmm. 
thus justifying the whole trip to Mexico. (laughs) There you go. I agree so much. Now, you and I had wondered about the fact that he decided not to come clean about Pat's before this moment in time. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't tell about grandpa. Right. And this is obviously like 75% of his marriage is eroded because of it. At least. And now you get to this point, would you have told right away to Lori? Or are you truly thinking the universe is going to allow you to sweep this under the rug? That's a great question because it's not a simple answer. I mean, it's all complicated. If you go on our Twitter page right now, there's a poll at Pod Clubhouse where one of the choices are it's complicated. And in this case, if you're Andy, you've got your own pride, your own sense of being a father, your sense of being a man or whatever that other stuff is that you're dealing with. And then you've got your wife who you've seen kind of disintegrating in front of you for months. You can destroy her by telling her this information or you can try to just bottle it up and hope everything turns out for the best. Does it make you feel like that Andy has learned very little through this process in terms of like you cannot continue to lie to your wife? You cannot have a partnership? No, because of the way it ends. I don't think he's going to tell her. Do you think that Andy was correct in the assumption that he should not share additional secrets with Lori Because the outcome of sharing a secret equaled her and the car accident. So now is he justified in his choice to have not shared the Pat's information willingly until he was like broken? Because see what would have happened? That's what I'm saying is it's it's complicated. Like in terms of like grade school. Yeah. Tell the truth every time. In terms of spouses that are that are going to lose their their absolute mind and go homicidal if you give them a piece of information, that's not an easy yes, you know? So this is where I go back to that spectrum of like what equaled a good dad, what equals a good husband. Is the right thing to keep the information from your wife because she might go crazy or is there somewhere in between this keeping it from her and telling her it while you're sobbing and drunk? Could he have come home with that information and said, Lori, we need to seek treatment for for Jacob regardless of what happened because now there's a cloud over Pat's situation. I think that it's fair to assume that Father O'Leary and my father were involved in this. He didn't confirm it, but I think we can, we can think that it probably happened this way because, again, I mean, Andy wasn't privy to the things we saw on screen. So he would have to come at it like, a, I think that this is a fair assumption that my father was involved. Yeah. And with that in mind, we need to do something more with Jacob in terms of therapy and help figuring out what's going on in his mind. Is that an allowable thing or do you think even that would make Lori go crazy? I mean, that doesn't make for great TV, don't get me wrong, (laughs) except for the character growth. Like you could see that Andy accepted that that wasn't the way to treat the situation anymore. Well, that's kind of the, the, the lingering beauty, I guess, of this story is... Does Andy learn anything? Because by the end of it, he's alone and he's defending a partial truth in court. He's keeping that up with his wife who says she can't remember, but we don't know what she's thinking either. Right. That's kind of what makes this a much better show than I was expecting even watching several episodes of it. I knew that it was a well-made show. Mm -hmm. I knew that it had famous people in it. Mm -hmm. Well-crafted show, but I didn't know it was going to leave me thinking about it 
for days afterward. Who knows what? And and what's the right thing to do? And what would I do in that situation? All these questions that, that the show generated, that's... That's pretty good TV to me. I think that's the best kind of TV, right? Is where you walk away without 100% of the answers, but with a with a, that lingering question of how would I have handled it? And what if Andy had made this choice? And what if Lori had stepped in here? All the different parts in between really, really make you wonder about how this, this could have turned out. Adding to the layers of things that happened with... Lori's decline here. Uh-huh. We have to also add in that she has this calling to go to the Rifkin house. Now, this was a scene I didn't like in particular, but I understand that it was supposed to push Lori. What did you think about the very, very convenient picture window, <laughs> you know, Mrs. Rifkin dropping the glass, cutting her hand and Lori seeing this entire scene. And then, you know, Mrs. Rifkin sobbing and everything like, was this getting borderline like after school special? Yeah, cheesy? I know Hallmark movies don't delve into that, but maybe a little murder she wrote, maybe. Yeah, very know, murder she wrote. That sort of thing. Yeah. I, I was also not a big fan of that scene. It was, it was kind of intercut with this scene of the of the guys playing Othello there's a there's kind of an implied I think meaning with Othello which is like the black and white pieces mm-hmm. all good all bad that sort of thing mm-hmm. you don't get that answer with this show things are not black or white things are not black or white right so would you have wished that they had played that out differently or do you feel like that scene had to be in there but they maybe could have done a better job of making it less cheesy. Oh, boy. There needed to be a tipping point for Lori. I I don't want to besmirch the performance or anything like that, but it was hammy to me. It just didn't work on camera that well for me. I wish that there would have been something else that would have tipped. Can I tell you how much of a dork I am in this in terms of, like, home design? The rooms that face the street, they are not rooms that you are in drinking in the middle of the night kind of situations. Like that's like the dining room or maybe even a formal room, but you're probably in a bedroom or in a family room or something like that where you're like, you're not on display in the front window is what I'm trying to say. I know that's super dorky, but in the whole like, you know. Maybe in New England, that's where they drink. In the, where you meet the pastor or priest? No, it (laughs) isn't actually. Very few people ever go in the front room. I just, I don't know. It just seems so implausible and so silly. I guess, again, you can look back and say, well, they had laid the groundwork that Lori has this strange penchant for going to places and lurking outside, whether it's the gala or the Rifkin home. She has some need, like some ghoulish need to like see the thing that's hurting her. Yeah. You might have gotten there with like home videos, even just watching children play, going to the park where it happened. I feel like a more public place would have made more sense for her to see Mrs. Rifkin crying or something. Or maybe she's passing and they're they're having a fundraiser for the Rifkin family or they're having a different memorial or something like that. Something else. This scene in particular just felt just goofy. It wasn't for me. But it pushed her. Did they do enough to layer on the concerns that when we hear that she's going to take Jacob to the haircut or when they get in the car, at what point were you starting to think like, oh, Papa Trudy, she's going to lose it here. Yeah, As viewers, we are set up to view this as, you know, going into the axe murderer's house, basically, right? We all know the axe murderer is in there, but they don't know. 
for some reason they missed all the acts and decorations Andy outside the know. house right. right right Andy doesn't know at what point though did you know did you what did you know her intent did it have to get all the way to the baby book for you to know her intent or just as she was speeding along in the car did you say once oh. I saw it was raining yeah that was the thing the the raining and just kind of the distracted driving I was like yeah that okay this is this is what's gonna happen I didn't know She's going to steer into another car, which I'm glad she didn't do. Mm. That would have Wouldn't that have been like crazy if she ended up hurting someone else? Yeah. Another yeah. family. But yeah, I mean, I was late to the party on that. I mean, there might have been people that saw vehicular manslaughter uh, <laughs> happening there. Yeah, it took that long for me. We needed at some point for us to get to the fact that he was referring to Jacob in the past tense. He was a good son. I would have asked him, blah, 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 that kind of stuff, right? Yes. And we knew there was like waning minutes in the show. So by the time we get to driving on the road, it was like, I didn't need to see the baby book. And I didn't even need them to start getting like really heated into it for me to be like, uh-oh. But I honestly, I didn't think it was going to go down exactly as it did. I, for some reason, thought that they were going to like Thelma and Louise it over like a cliff. Because there's mountains and windy roads and stuff. Me and you have driven through Connecticut. You could conceivably go off the side of any road pretty realistically, actually, you know? Yeah. I don't know that it was planned per se. Like, I'm going to steer into that tunnel. Right. Like I'm going to get to my breaking point at by the bridge. <laughs> yeah. But it did seem like all the pieces were in place for her to lose her shit. She just wasn't conscious of how close she was, maybe. I like all of that. This all just goes to our concerns that they weren't asking the straight questions sooner, right? Yeah. Because, again, don't wait to tell about Leonard Patz when you're drunk and crying outside at the pool. Tell when you're a little bit more together. Don't ask whether he really did it. When you're already at the breaking point after you see Mrs. Rifkin and you see all this stuff. Like, these were questions and things to share far before you got to the can't go back Right. This, point. Is, this is almost a manual of how not to defend your child <laughs> <laughs> accused well, of murder. How not to allow a human psyche to break. You can't expect your mind and your heart to be able to take it to such extremes. That's a good point. I don't look at Lori as a weak person. Me neither. I look at her as a normal person that has had to go through something extraordinary, something that her husband was sort of desensitized to because of his career and because of who he is. Like we said, he has those same markers as his dad and his son, the emotionally distant kind of thing where he doesn't have close friends. He doesn't have close relationships. He doesn't dig in quite as much, you know, so this kind of thing, not as not going to affect in the same way. But I don't look down on Lori's character reaching a breaking point, basically. I mean, I don't agree with what she did, but I'm, I'm not going to say that's okay. But I am going to say it's okay that she did that and not consider her weak. I do not think she was weak. She was someone who had a very different role than Andy did the whole time. Moments like Dr. Vogler's office, where Andy was doing this as an evidence-seeking situation. And once he got enough information, he was cool with leaving the office. And Lori was like, no, wait, I don't have all the information. He got to sit, you know, next to Jacob and be co-counsel in a way that he had so much more control and understanding and say over yeah. what was happening. Whereas she just had to observe, be basically like trembling the entire time. She had so much more stacked against her, in my opinion. The idea that she could have made it through this without losing her mind seemed minuscule, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Now, I assume both of us saw this the same way, but I want to make sure. Okay. 150% she most purposely drove into the bridge to kill Jacob, to kill both of them, or she truly just snapped out and it there was no death intent in it. I believe it was she snapped in that moment and the best solution in her mind, because she couldn't get a straight answer out of that boy, was to kill him. And that was how. To kill him or to kill both of them? I'm, I'm being minutia about it because I, because I think that different people saw it differently. And I, I'm curious how I, you saw it. I don't know that it's, I don't know that the, like you can apply like rational type thinking to this. It was more like kill him, but I'm in the car too. Like, you know what I mean? And also, I'm going to say from a mom's standpoint, I can't live with myself having killed him and I can't live with myself knowing the information I know. Fair enough. So I'm going down too. Now, I said something pretty ghouly when we were watching this. Do you remember what I said? When you're about to ram into a wall and you're intending to do damage to the other person, what is it you're supposed to do? You're supposed to lean over and subtly unhook their seatbelt. Right. Push the unclick button. That I've only seen used on the other side of the coin, where you're the victim and somehow you're gaining the ability to deal with the car in some way. In order to subdue your captor, you unclick their seatbelt and ram yourself into a wall. Yeah, that's a good trick. That's a pretty good trick, right? I've seen that trick done before. Some part of me, again, I was going back to that whole like, does she mean to kill him? Does she mean to kill herself? Does she mean to kill both of them? Is there any legitimate claim of accident here? Only that it's wet, you know? But did she like black out from crazy? Nope. I mean, she it wasn't an accident. steered into it. Yeah. You have a seizure. Nope. She didn't have a stroke. Nothing. Nothing. Nope. Give nothing to Andy Barber nope. for the defense. Except for that it's raining. And she, and she was speeding. And she was speeding. Uh, you've been in a car with hydroplanes for a second. It's pretty scary. And I've also driven those roads of Connecticut, and I'm telling you, windy <laughs> and tight, yeah. right? Yeah, and she was driving a, like a Land Rover, pretty reasonably big car for those roads. In case you missed it, kids, the whole flash-forward sequence was not about putting Andy in jail for something. It was they were going to try Lori, and that's what he was there to give his testimony for, to try to testify to her mental state and everything leading up to that moment. Right. And whether or not this had been an accident or whether she intentionally had tried to kill Jacob. Let's build up just a moment to the actual grand jury portion. Okay. Where from Andy's POV, he's, you know, packing stuff. Lori and Jacob have gone for haircuts and he sees the baby book in the trash. Yes. The extent to which you intercede at this point phone calls to which he did he did only or is there anything else he could have done or is there anything else that would have been remotely reasonable i mean there was nothing that would have saved the day he could make phone calls from the house he could conceivably jump in the car yeah regardless of if he goes the right way or not like we're just talking about what could you do Uh, i mean if you were in that situation and what is even reasonable to do that was it. I mean, you're going to call the cops and be like, see, my wife threw away the baby book and <laughs> she's been in sort of a snit lately. <laughs> nice. After this whole Mexico antics happened. I No, I'm with you wholeheartedly. I'm really trying to think about it from anyone else's POV. I mean, I think you and I are on the same page. If I was in another house in another country watching this right now, would I look at Andy and say, what a dumbass? Why wouldn't you just burr? Fill in the blank. Is there anything the man could have done at this point? Um, Outside of calling and calling, calling. I mean, like... I don't see he ever called Jacob's phone. 
Which the kid most definitely had in his hand. Calling Jacob. I mean, he was a passenger. There's only a couple things you could do. You could, I mean... You could put the damn thing on speaker and be saying, Mom, Mom, no, no. Which I'm going to ask you right now. Would that have been an even more compelling situation where Jacob had bent down and hit accept and he's now on speaker and hears their back and forth moments before the accident and now has to play the game of do I tell, do I don't tell, do I say it was an accident, do I, do I know it wasn't? I don't know. This fits a little more into Andy's way of viewing truth and facts and things like that. That would have made the the ambiguous ending where we don't know what she knows. We don't know but uh, Andy knows what because he knows. The, the baby book was thrown in the trash. He knows, Paul. Reasonable doubt, man. No, I don't mean court of law. I mean in Andy's heart. He knows his wife tried to kill the son. I'm not talking about bring her up on charges. I'm not talking about whatever. I'm talking about what does Andy know? Just like he knew Leonard Patz did not kill himself when he went to go talk to Grandpa. And he followed up on that. He probably does. But he doesn't want to see her go to prison. Well, he's captain. I'm not going to admit the truth even when it's in my face. Yes. If I'm Neil, when you hear the question I'm going to ask you. Okay, lay it on me, Neil. Phone records say, Mr. Barber, that you called your wife seven times in the five minutes preceding the accident, what were you calling about? What was the urgency? Yeah. I, Burn in hell, Andy. Look at you. <laughs> I think Andy would have come up with a with a quick answer. You like know. what? Tell me what. Don't forget the roast. You're the roast. <laughs> Who even makes a roast? <laughs> New Englanders. Oh, mm, touche. She's making some Indian pudding to go with the roast. <laughs> That's what all my New England family friends would make stuff like that. Native like, American pudding? No, they didn't ever call it that. It's like a bread pudding-ish kind of dish. I don't know. It was weird. I don't know why they had to make stuff like that. I see. But you're right. Roast, carrots, potatoes. Yeah, that seems right. Yankee pot roast, if you will. Surely the phone records would show that he was calling feverishly. Yep. There was a moment at the end of the deposition when Andy's waiting out in the hall and Neil catches his, his eye before he leaves and he kind of gives him this... This look, and, and I agree. It, it was it was a moment when I thought he was saying like, you know, I had to try. Don't hate me, but that's my job, or something like that. It was there was a. I a, saw a moment. the look. I think I took it like your family got off the hook yet again. You think so? Kind of, not in a snotty way, but like in a you slippery bastard. I don't know how you did it in the first trial, and I certainly don't know how you did it in this. And also, this is all in one look, Paul. I mean, this is a layered look. Why wouldn't you want justice for your kid? You know your wife did it. Now you're defending Lori, not defending Jacob. That was such a great twist when he said justice for Jacob. (gasps) I know. And he totally, his demeanor and his voice changed. And he was like, just help us, Andy. We all just want justice for Jacob. And I was like, what? That, That line was... Mm. If if the scene with Mrs. Rifkin was dorky, this was captivating. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. That right. Justice for Jacob. What about that? That felt like a lot, a lot, a lot. Now ask me, Paul. Okay, Mr. Barber. The phone records say, show that you were calling 17 times in 30 seconds right before the accident. What were you calling about? You see, Neil. When you've gone through situations 
like this with your family, I felt very protective and I just had a bad feeling that morning. It was raining. I just wanted to hear their voices. You know, they're sweet, sweet, sweet voices. <laughs> just wanted to talk to them. And, and I just, I just, I, I'm constantly walking around with this feeling of, of nervousness, of feeling protective of them. You know, Neil, you know what I mean, man? That's how I would talk to Neil. Yeah. Do you think that's pretty good? Uh, that wasn't a lot like Andy, but okay. <laughs> what should I say? This is America's ass. Right. Stuff like that. That's what I should say. Yep. <laughs> Couple of questions about how the Barber family is left. One, what did you think about the reveal of where each patient was and that even that Lori and Jacob were both still alive? Did you think they did a good job of peeling back the information there, the truth? Yeah, I do. It was it was like, don't step in front of the television while this is happening. You know? mm-hmm. Suspenseful, right? Yeah, it was. Because you wanted to see if he was what he was doing, you know, visiting them and, and in what state he was visiting them in. Was My it? eyes were like squinting when he just came over to like the visitor sticker area because I know full well you have to write the patient's name of who you're visiting. And so when he was like like doing that part and getting his little sticker on, I was like squinting like, can I see the writing in the book? Like I wanted to see who, who are you visiting? The first shot in the whole series was the little pain sticker thing. And we, at that time, knew that that was going to be probably the last scene of the show. And we were right. It's from Lori's room. Right. Do you believe that Lori doesn't remember that day, honestly? Or do you think that, and I guess two parts, they never use the word amnesia. We're just saying that. I'm going with the idea that she very likely had a concussion and you wouldn't be able to remember the events of that day just from that standpoint. Yeah, right. But it matters, it matters if it was like an amnesia type of thing, which I kind of thought when he took her hand, he was going to say something like, it's Andy, I'm your husband. Like as if she was a blank slate and whatever Andy chose to share was what she was going to go with. He was going to try to overboard her? A full overboard sitch. What if that was the sitch? Would you have liked that better? Or could you even tell how much this memory loss really was playing in was it just that she didn't know that day but did she know all the shit before i like it the way it is the ambiguousness of her condition and what she was complicit in doing what she says that she remembers doing all that stuff just works for me in a way that i know that people want to know who killed ben they want that to be the last page of the book i'm okay with it like this i in fact like it more because of this, I think. Because there are so many... It's not just like they left a couple of dangling things. It's No, it's like they wove a whole gut-wrenching extra mystery here. You will never know. Not only will we not know who killed Ben, but, but if you're even trying to figure out if the three of them could ever be a family again, there's a series of things that would have to happen. I mean, obviously, Jacob would have to recover in some capacity, which who knows? They never really told us. I kind of wish they would have had a doctor moment where he was like, Mr. Barber, he's got like a 75% chance of, you know, regaining some amount of function. Or, Mr. Barber, this is sad news, whatever. Something, right? But again, maybe good that we don't know. And then on the front with Lori, they kept it so vague. She seemed a little childlike when he was telling her stuff. Like, she seemed like she was like, she wasn't furring her brow and all anxious and whatever. She was like, oh, it did go that way? Gosh, I just wish I could remember something. Like, so innocent in a way that made me think, like, how much memory loss? Right. He had to explain no bill, right? 
Yeah, and not only that, but but that matters because they could be husband and wife again if she forgets the <laughs> enough. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. She could be Jacob's mom again if she forgets enough. Right. But mm, because there's so much that happened that it was just the three of them. It was just Jacob, Andy, and Lori. There were so many moments, but if you look back where little nuggets of information came out that had it not played out exactly that way, well, maybe she doesn't know that Leonard Patz's suicide was a question mark anymore. She doesn't remember. So now she has no doubts about Jacob's innocence. I mean, shit, Paul, this matters, you know? Yeah, but yeah. totally up in the air. We don't know the extent of her memory loss. It might be more than just the day. She just was like, I can't remember the accident. Yep. And But again, her, her facial demeanor, like the way that she was like, gosh, I just wish I could help. This is such a curious situation. Mm-hmm. They got to believe it was a total accident. I mean, what motivation would I have? I can't remember a damn thing that I'm upset about, <laughs> you know? And you weren't upset about anything. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. That's the thing, right? You're Andy, you get to fill in all the gaps, Paul. You get to say, you and Jacob were laughing and joking when you left the house and everything was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And if you have no recollection of being accused of the shit in Mexico, and neither does Jacob, then what is Lori calling the Mexico police to be like, how exactly did you talk to us at that breakfast table? And like, or as long as he just says, well, there was some confusion about what happened with that girl for like a couple of minutes. They did question us, but it was very minor. I mean, I'm saying you could reweave that damn story to look however you wanted if you're Andy. All right, so at the end of every one of these episodes, you guys, we have asked two questions. One, who killed Ben? I think it was the boy now. (laughs) I think it it was Jacob. And I'm going to still remain with the it's complicated because I think that there was probably more secrets with Leonard. I just believe there was. I don't know what, but I just think there was. How do you feel about the fact that we will probably never know? I am good with that. I would like this to end right here. I don't want a season two. I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to start making up their shit. They have like a perfect season of TV. If you have watched Netflix's show Bloodline, you'll know what I'm talking about. They had a perfect single season of TV. And then they thought, whoa, everybody likes that. Let's keep going. The next season was half as good. And the next season after that was half as good as that. Yeah, so, it actually got pretty crazy. Yeah. I agree with you. And I think that it's one of those things where you've got to leave the audience wanting more and you have to be okay with that. Like, don't go money grubbing, audience grubbing, try to bring back something with some offering of an ending. Like, don't do it. Just leave it. That's This is the genius of this particular show. It's a thriller. It's a whodunit. It doesn't necessarily told you who did it. Mm-hmm. But then it's also one of those moments where I feel like if you sat down and you talked to the creator, they would say, what are you talking about? I gave you all the ingredients for you to know exactly who did it. <laughs> right. Why you're confused about who did it? I mean, I didn't make them say it out loud, but you don't know who did it. And I think that's for every single person who says, yes, it was Jacob without a doubt is like, what the fuck showed you watch? Jacob did it. I'm curious about audience's reception to this in that it doesn't have a clear ending. Like, I don't know. You never saw the movie Zodiac, but it's about the Zodiac killer. Really? It does not end ever saying this was the Zodiac killer. It was just it just ends. And it's like, this might have been the Zodiac Killer. Wow, spoilers. 
Well, I mean, it's an old movie now. You always but say that. The point is that... Day from Offscreen Babel is going to be like, Paul! It is not one of David Fincher's most loved films. And I think that's, I think that's probably why, is that it doesn't reach that that big final ending that everyone knows how it turns out. But and I, and I think people to... want that. So I hope this show doesn't suffer for that. Okay, so I hear what you're saying. I would like some numbers on that, Paul. That's going to be your homework. I would like some numbers. Do audiences require the wrapped up package with a pretty bow on top? Or are some of the best movies, the best stories, left a little bit vague at the end with a little bit of, I don't know. I I think it, I saw it this way based on my life experience. Well, I'm more related to Lori and I saw it this way based on my life experience. Is it is that a better story or is a better story like... This is who did it. This is where he did it. This is the weapon and the end. Take our most favorite whodunit, Clue. <laughs> they give you a variety of endings. And I know in theory they say, but this is what really happened. You know, I get that. But the point is that you could always mix and match the information just depending on your point of view. Yep. And if you have the memory loss. oh my gosh well i thought that this was a super fun show to to cover it's it feels very summer show ish and that you could sit down and it's almost like a popcorn kind of show where you want to sit down and watch it and be like oh my god where are we gonna get to when you at the end you go i never saw that coming yeah you know and that's so fun i mean that's that's a that's a fun show to watch I want to give a shout out to William Zafaris, who chimed in on Twitter after our last podcast and said that we did a good job. We always like hearing we did a good job. And I know. So if y'all think we did a good job, please come on over to iTunes and rate our podcast because Lord knows we always enjoy y'all's feedback. Thanks so much for listening. This is Caroline. This is Paul. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.